Welcome to the Yukon RUF podcast. RUF at Yukon is a ministry that relies completely on the financial support of churches and individuals like you in order to serve the Yukon community. You can support RUF at Yukon by going to ruf.org slash Yukon. Thanks, Taylor. That was great, man. Um, <laughs> thanks, everyone, for coming, and it's good to be with you all tonight. And uh, this is RUF, and you guys, a lot of you know that RUF is a community. Uh, we look to Jesus for truth. We look to Jesus for life, and we welcome all uh, who would come. And uh, we want this to be a place where those who uh, don't believe can ask honest questions and be a part of a loving community and uh, we want it to be a place where you can grow in your faith and uh, serve the Lord at Yukon and invite your friends in and uh, we want to welcome all who would come and so uh, well since we're about Jesus we look to the Bible and this semester if you've been coming I've been going through look we've been looking at a different text in just like going through the books of the Bible as they are in the Bible so we've so far we've done Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, and Judges. Seven books. Tonight we're eighth. Eighth book in the series. And uh, what we've seen is that uh, the Bible is about uh, God creating a world that's good and that he loves. And he creates because he's a lover. And then uh, we see early on in the story that God's people turn away from him. And everything gets sad in God's world. And yet... It does not stop him from pursuing his people in love and saving the world, uh, making the world the way it needs to be, the way he created it to be. And uh, last week we looked at Judges, uh, which is we looked at a story which showed just the depth of how far off the world became uh, as God's people wandered from him. And yet God continues pursue his people and to pursue his world. And we're going to look at a book tonight, uh, the book of Ruth, which is just like an amazing little book tucked in the Bible. It's four chapters. I'd actually encourage you all to like read it tonight as you go to bed or something like that. It's just a great, you can easily read it. And I'm going to do something a little different tonight than look at one text. I'm just going to kind of guide us through the whole book uh, in a short time, and I'm doing this because I once heard someone else do it, uh, a man named Jay Sklar, who was a seminary professor of mine, and he's a friend, and I admire him a lot, and I heard him kind of do it like this, and so I'm going to copy him almost entirely in what I share for you, with you guys. Uh, normally, I come with like original thoughts and some <laughs> things I read and you know things I picked up in different places, but uh, tonight is not so much like that. Um, because I want us to be able to look at the whole book like this because it's amazing. And so the book of Ruth has three three main characters. I bet you can guess who one of the characters is. Ruth, yes, Ruth is great. Ruth is great. She's a demonstration of God's love and her name means comfort. And the next main character Also a great demonstration of God's love is the man with the coolest name in the Bible, Boaz. I've always wanted to name like one of my offspring Boaz. (laughs) I've not done that yet. Uh, Maybe I'll name a pet Boaz next. But uh, 
he's a great uh, person in the story, but I want us to focus tonight on a character named Naomi. And the reason I want to focus on her is because the story of Ruth starts and ends with her. And the story seems to be speaking to her. And so uh, the story of Ruth begins with a severe famine in the land, in Israel. And Naomi and her husband, a dude named Elimelech, uh, and their two sons, they leave Israel. They are from Bethlehem. And they go to the country of Moab, which is in modern-day Jordan, and life is hard for them. Uh, There's no food. They're poor. And it's the time of the judges. So if you were here last week, you know how up and down that time was and how much turmoil there was, and it was just a sad time to be alive. Uh, So it's about 1,100 years before Christ, and then tragedy strikes. Naomi's husband, Elimelech, dies. And Naomi is left with her two sons. And they find wives, and they get married, and that seems like things are going a little better, but then the two sons die. It's unbelievably sad. Like, think about how tragic that would be to lose a husband, then to lose a son, then to lose another son. Uh, A while back, uh, the guy who had my job here before me came and visited uh, so a guy started RUF here long ago now, and uh, he came back through town and he stopped by my house because uh, we usually get together when he's around. He lives in Vermont now, and uh, so he had my job for seven years, and he showed up at my house, and it was summertime. I gave him a big hug. Good to see him. And he was, like, hot and sweaty, and I was like, you know, what... I'm thinking to myself, like, why is this guy, like, I'm not going to say anything, but why is he so hot? Like, his body feels warm. And uh, we, he came to my house, and we drove to Dog Lane Cafe right over here to get lunch, and we're sitting outside in a beautiful summer day, warm day. And the reason, it turned out, as we got to talking, the reason he was hot was because he had been outside before he came to my house planting flowers at his daughter's grave here down the road and he told me that and I looked into his eyes I thought about my own kids and then I just burst into tears and we both just sat there and cried at the sadness and of just thinking about losing a child and that's where Naomi's at except it's like times three and Uh, It's not just that she's lost, you know, in in the book of Naomi, it says she's lost her sons. And it uses this Hebrew word, yeled, for son. Yeled. Remember this word, yeled. uh, Because it's a word that actually means boy. And there's barely any times in Hebrew when someone uses the word yeled to talk about their adult son. But it's, it's a way of saying, like, she didn't just lose her sons. Like, she lost her boys. And so her conclusion is, the Lord is against me. Her conclusion is, you know, imagine her, you know, she she goes away, she comes back, and she's away for 10 years. And imagine, you know, you're one of her people back in Bethlehem. They would remember her. It's been 10 years, but they would remember her. And it's the barley season in this story. So they're all out working in the fields. And you see Naomi, you think, is that Naomi from afar? 
oh yeah, it looks like, it looks like Naomi's back. And immediately she says to them, do not call me Naomi. Naomi means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Uh, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Right? So Naomi feels like God's just like let her have it. You know, like God's looked at her and said, you know what? I'm just going to make Naomi's life miserable she deserves it and I feel like I want to so why not and who could really blame her for feeling that way right like what other explanation can there be she's lost her boys she's lost her husband Um, not to mention how hard life is for women in this day living alone without husbands and sons right like in those days like that's how you stayed alive is you had a husband or you had sons or family or something and she's got nothing now and I wonder maybe you felt that before or maybe you feel it now like where's God like maybe God is against me because look at my life what other possible explanation could there be for the miserable circumstances I find in it than that God is against me and I want us to see tonight that the book of Ruth doesn't come to that conclusion It doesn't come to the conclusion that God is against Naomi. Uh, Ruth and the rest of the Bible, they don't explain why it happened. They never, like, why do bad things happen? We don't really know. But the book doesn't conclude that if they do happen, then the Lord is against us. So um, the book of Ruth instead is filled with all these whispers of God's steadfast love. If you've been around RUF, you know I talk a lot about God's steadfast love this other Hebrew word, chesed. You got to know about chesed. It's a love that you can't really describe without many words in English because it's a covenant love. It's a love of like binding yourself to someone forever. And that's what God's love is like. And so when we translate that word from Hebrew, it's sometimes it's steadfast love. Sometimes it's kindness. Sometimes it's loving kindness. Um, and the message of Ruth, is, it just has all these whispers that even in the midst of the worst tragedy, God's steadfast love remains for his people, um, this covenant love. And so we see it in each of the four chapters of Ruth. So chapter one, uh, Naomi's husband and sons have died, and she hears that the famine that they left in Israel in Bethlehem is over, and so they, she decides to go home. And she's got two daughters-in-law now, Orpah and Ruth. By the way, Oprah Winfrey's legal name is Orpah, by the way. Check it out on the internet if you don't believe me. Um, and, uh, you know, they try to go with her and Ruth's like, no, 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 no. You guys need to like find yourself a man and take care of yourself. You don't want to go with me. Just stay here. But then it says that Ruth clings to Naomi. And it's a strong verb. It's often translated held fast. She held fast to Naomi. And it's a word related to chesed. It's a covenant binding. Uh, it's a wedding vow type of, you know, like you leave your parents and you hold fast to your spouse. It's that kind of love, and it's for life. Look at what it says in Ruth in a couple verses before this one. It says, uh, Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. 
and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. So imagine Ruth, like, Naomi's like, I'm heading back, you really shouldn't come with me, and Ruth is just, like, clinging to her. And she goes so far as to say, like, I'm going to die with you. <laughs> like, you're not going anywhere that I don't go, so much so that, like, I will die by your side before I leave you, okay? Who does that? Like, where did she even come from? And the implication is maybe God provided Ruth. And it's just this whisper of his steadfast love for Naomi. Uh, You know, he's saying to Naomi, please know that the presence of tragedy in your life doesn't mean I'm against you. For I am the Lord of steadfast love. And so Naomi's too wounded to hear the whisper in chapter one, but God keeps whispering in chapter two. So uh, in chapter two, the new character is introduced, my man, Boaz. Boaz, we don't know much about him. We know that he's a relative of Naomi and that he's like kind of well off, like a man of means. And it's the barley season. And so they're all, you know, you guys know what it's like harvesting barley, right? Like uh, (laughs) we all been there. Um, So they're all harvesting barley. And if you don't know, the way you harvested barley in those days was that uh, one person would go around and hold the stalk and use a knife and cut it at the base and lay it down. And then other people's, other people's job would be to like collect the stalks and bundle them up in sheaves and take them to the threshing floor. And uh, God is amazing. Like part of why God's law is amazing is because he implemented this really cool practice, which was that he made it illegal. Like it's illegal in Israel under God's law to harvest your whole field. And you had to leave the edges and you had to leave like random things uncut so that poor people and widows could come behind you and cut. And that was a way that God wanted to provide for the poor among his people. And so Ruth and Naomi are back together in uh, Bethlehem. And Ruth's like, we're out of food, so I'll go out and I'll go glean. That's called gleaning, what the poor and the widows got to do. And so uh, remember, Ruth is from out of, she's from another country. She's never like lived here before. She doesn't know anyone in town yet. That's important. And it says in the text that she happens to come to Boaz's field. And it's a way of saying like the, it's like God appointed that she would end up in Boaz's field. And Boaz shows up and he doesn't recognize Ruth. And he's like, who's that? Who's, who's that? And they tell him, someone tells him like it's Ruth. And he's heard of Ruth. Like he heard about how Ruth has like bound herself to his relative Naomi. And he's really impressed by that. And so he's like, all right, cool. Like, and he goes to Ruth and he's like, listen, you're going to have like my guy's water. Like all the water you want, it's on me. And he makes her a big feast, like a really generous meal. And then he secretly tells all his men, he's like, you guys better leave a lot of stuff behind today for Ruth and Naomi. And so Ruth comes home that day with 30 to 50 pounds of winnowed barley, which is just a miraculous amount for a poor person in those days. Like, it's insane how much that is. And uh, remember, like, they're poor. Uh, These are two single ladies living at a time when you did not want to be a single lady. Um, It's cooler now that Beyonce wrote that song. But uh, (laughs) back then, you really didn't want to be. And Naomi realizes, like, she sees how much barley Ruth brought back and she's like this is something special 
And look what, Ru, well, look what she says in chapter 2. She says, And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness, chesed, has not forsaken the living or the dead. So it's another whisper. Naomi is beginning to see that God is showing her steadfast love. And it's the same whisper, uh, this whisper of God saying, you know what, Naomi, even in the midst of tragedy, I'm not against you. I'm still the Lord of steadfast love. All right, we're halfway through. Chapter three, uh, Ruth was the one who got the food. And so Naomi's like, I'm going to get you a man. Okay, you got me some food. I'm going to get you a man. Here's how you do it. Um, here's the plan. You go find Boaz. Go find this guy, Boaz. You met him already. And tell him you want to be his wife. <laughs> Pretty bold approach. Uh, and she's like, the way you're going to do it, though, is you're going to go down to the threshing floor. So the threshing floor was like a flat place where they laid down all the barley stalks. And then they would like roll something heavy over it. And... Uh, it would separate the chaff from the kernel, which is what you wanted. And, uh, and the work was super hard. So like, got, if you were working there, a lot of times at the end of the day, you would just like kind of pass out and sleep there on the threshing floor at night because you were working so hard. And she's like, Boaz is going to be there sleeping on the threshing floor. And I want you to curl up at his feet and put his blanket over you. <laughs> Seems reasonable, right? And... Uh, Kind of weird, but like, you know, the weird, like over the passage of time, like the rituals we have for like dating and marriage are probably what seem the weirdest as time passes. And, but here's what we need to understand about that, okay? Uh, she does what Naomi says. So she, and Boaz wakes up in the night and he, he sees Ruth like curled up at his feet. And she's like, who are, he's like, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant. Um, And that's an important play on words. Spread your wings over your servant? What are you talking about? Uh, Because wings was the same word for like the edges of your robe. So it's this play on words with your wing. And it's a way of saying like, take me under the protective cover of your wing. In other words, make me your wife. This is a wedding. This is a marriage, like straight up marriage proposal. Boaz gets that. And he blesses her, it says, uh, essentially for not going after like the hot young dudes because he's an older dude. And uh, he says he'd be delighted to make her his wife. But there's this like thing where like there's other guys kind of in line to marry Ruth before him and he has to clear it with them. Uh, you know, like they would have first dibs essentially. And he's like, I'll go clear with them, but yeah, let's get married if they say it's cool. And he gives her this gift to take back uh, to Naomi, a bunch of food again. And it says that Boaz gave it to her and he said, do you not go back to your mother-in-law empty? Second time we've seen that word empty before. The first time was when Naomi came back and says, I've come back empty this other hint. Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Um, you know, first Naomi was accusing God, saying, he brought me back empty. And this is just another whisper, God saying, Naomi, the presence of tragedy in your life doesn't mean I'm against you. I am the Lord of steadfast love. And there's one more whisper. Last chapter, chapter four. Uh, the next day, 
Boaz goes to the city gate, which is where all the important decisions were made. So this is where the men of the village would gather and decide things. And he goes to make sure it's cool to marry Ruth. And the guys in the village are like, yeah, it's cool, Boaz, you can marry Ruth. I don't, the, the one guy who was like next in line was like, I don't want to, so you take her. And the people bless the marriage and Boaz and Ruth get married and they have a son. And as the story closes, we see Naomi once more in chapter four, verse 16, near the end of the book. And it's her holding the son. And it says, then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. Uh, Guess what word for child is used? Yelled. Remember when she lost her boys? She lost her yelleds. And so the story begins with her losing her yelleds. And it ends with her holding another yelled provided by the Lord. And it's a stronger whisper again, though. I'm not against you, Naomi. The presence of tragedy in your life doesn't mean I'm against you. I am the Lord of steadfast love. And the story kind of ends there pretty much. And we don't know if Naomi like really heard the whisper or not, we kind of would hope so and maybe assume so. But here's what she definitely wouldn't have seen and known. Uh, The boy she was holding, his name was Obed, and he would have a son named Jesse. And Jesse would have a son named David, and that would be King David, the King David. And that royal family that started on that day would be the family that God would use to shout his steadfast love to the ends of the universe. Uh, Because that's where Jesus comes from. Another child born miraculously, provided by God in Bethlehem, a thousand years later, you know, when God puts on flesh and he enters the world as a member of this family from this story. And Jesus, who's the true king, he, like he's the true king. He's God in the flesh. And yet he doesn't come as a king. He comes as a servant. And he comes as one who suffers. Uh, Jesus experiences all the miseries of this life. He has loved ones that die. He has friends that abandon and reject him. He experiences sickness and pain just like we do. And he would go on later to be really rejected and to be spat on and whipped and stripped and killed and mocked for all of God's people. Even though he had done nothing wrong once, but on our behalf, he does it so that we could be brought into this family. So Jesus, there's all these whispers of God's steadfast love in the story. And Jesus, though, is the shout. It's the shout of God's steadfast love. Uh, So here's what we know when we suffer, when life is really hard. It can't be because God has withdrawn from us. It can't be because he's withdrawn his steadfast love. Because steadfast love is binding. It sticks and it won't let go. Uh, A lot of people trivialize suffering and they act like, oh, they know the reason and you should probably know the reason. Uh, We don't really. But what Jesus shows is that it can't be because God doesn't care. It can't be because he doesn't love us. He wouldn't enter into our world and suffer with us if he didn't 
love us if he didn't care if he was going to then withdraw his steadfast love. And so the cross is the ultimate expression of this committed, steadfast love. It's saying, like, I'm committed. I'm all in with these people. I don't care how messed up their world is, and I don't care how messed up their hearts are and how messed up they are. I'm all in. So when we feel like Naomi of chapter 1, like God's, God must be against me because my life is pretty rough, Remember the God of all of the Bible. Remember the God of all of Ruth, the Lord Jesus, the one who says again and again and again and again, I am the God of steadfast love. I'll never leave you. Let me pray for us. Father, we uh, come to you as people who have definitely felt like Naomi in the past, and some of us may even feel that way tonight. Uh, I pray that Uh, We would not conclude, though, that you have withdrawn your steadfast love. Pray that you'd give us eyes to see, ears to hear uh, the whispers of it that we may still have in our life today. I pray that we would really have eyes to see and ears to hear the shout of it uh, that comes from the cross. Uh, The proof that... Although we live in a world that's sad, uh, it's not because you don't care. It's not because you don't love us. And I pray that we would experience your comfort tonight in the midst of our sadness, uh, in the midst of our loss. I pray that uh, we would cling to you as you cling to us. Uh, Help us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.